Welcome to another episode of The Discourse, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, or anything else in the pop culture zeitgeist that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me I have a very special guest, returning guest to The Discourse. She is the Director of Programming for the Austin Asian American Film Festival. She's also the Co-Excuses, Co-Excuses, Jesus Christ, co-host <laughs> of the No Excuses podcast, Jenny Nolf. Welcome back to The Discourse. Well, I mean, I guess technically we... <laughs> have co-excuses for not watching movies on no excuses that that is a good point so from here on out you should probably just rename the podcast right sure Co- co-excuses. <laughs> awesome well thank you for coming on uh this morning to to discuss we're gonna do kind of like a this this episode doesn't really have a structure i'm just gonna point like say that right off the bat to to our listeners that it's going to be kind of a free form episode we're going to do a little bit of a summer movie wrap up um they're they're you know coming up next weekend anyway there there isn't a whole lot in the way of releases uh it's kind of quiet until uh it chapter two comes out on september 6th so we figured yeah so we figured we would just uh you know kind of discuss the summer as a whole Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we do that though the Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, so if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it Anchor FM, be it Stitcher, be it iTunes, Spotify, however you get your shows, and you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including The Fourth Wall, Be Real, Indie Beats, and the other various shows that pop up from time to time. Um, but let's just let's just dive in. The summer is coming to a close, um, and I just, I'll, I'll pass it to you, sort of, what did, what did you feel about the output of release the summer were were you were there things you were excited about was it overall kind of lacking or was it you know kind of a you know a case-by-case basis film by film basis just I guess what are your overall thoughts on on this this last summer well I guess I'm kind of in this weird point in my life and not saying that this applies to everybody but I was not into a lot of the wide releases this year um I felt like more often than not I ended up skipping, like, giant blockbusters, like Godzilla or, uh, oh, the Men in Black movie, Um, which then makes, it hurts my soul a little bit because I ended up going to see Disney movies, which I'm the problem then, Uh, that Disney did so well, and it's my fault. But I also went and supported a lot of, like, smaller films, and I feel like a lot of those movies kind of, uh, if they're, when I say smaller, I mean, like, movies that didn't do as well. Um, I think Longshot is one I kind of think of in that category because I went and saw that when not a lot of people did. Um, but then again, I also go and see a bunch of like independent stuff. Overall, summer, it was a weird one. It felt like it was made for the 90s, but not, nece- not necessarily everyone wanted that again. Um, 90s nostalgia, by the way, is something that will always fascinate me and how it's not like thriving as well as 80s. Yeah, I agree. Like, like, I like long shot. That's a perfect example, right? I mean, it was a, a a fun movie. It was a solid movie, but like, you know, those type of uh, like political romantic comedies, like Dave or the American President, were very prevalent in the '90s. We had uh, the live action remakes of The Lion King and Aladdin, 
that um which were you know came out in the 90s as well so that that definitely um you know godzilla i guess the roland Emmerich godzilla came out in 1998 so um, uh, men in black toy story yeah men in black toy story go go. yeah we <laughs> could go on absolutely um x-men i guess almost i guess the first uh, x-men was yeah. 2000 so like we were kind of we were out of the 90s at that point but yeah, it did definitely seem like a blast from the past, and it seemed like, other than the large Disney movies, that um, people weren't interested. Like, the the overall box office, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I guess, like, dive into it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I know it, we, we talk probably a lot on this show about, like, the, the Disney dominance, and I, I will, like, to, before... I start sounding like doom and gloom and all, all is uh, bad. <laughs> um, I, I did read a really good piece recently on, on Forbes by Scott Mendelson about how like Disney, Disney is part of the problem, but they're not completely the bad guy because uh, they're not a hundred percent the bad guy because viewers ticket go or moviegoers, ticket buyers have already spoken like years ago, five, four or five years ago that these type of, spectacle entertainment movies are the ones worth seeing in the theaters um you know whether or not they were from disney or not like people have spoken that these are the type of movies and so disney has gone out and they're sort of symptomatic of what people wanted they're not like necessarily you know they're they're basically making the things people want because they saw that this is what people want and people have not proved them wrong um, but this summer has been kind of nuts because usually even though they've dominated the last couple years there's been like other movies, other studios that have been massive hits and that they've all kind of coexisted. But I mean, this summer alone, Disney had ew, what four, five, four, I think, because uh, Captain Marvel was March. They had four billion dollar grocers, billion dollar plus grocers. Um, five if you count Spider Man, even though I know that's technically Sony, but it's an MCU movie, so I'm I'm gonna count it. So five billion dollar grocers and like left nothing for anybody else and and granted also to be fair like you mentioned the men in black movie you mentioned godzilla you mentioned dark phoenix like and some of those we might talk about later on this episode but like by all accounts those movies are also pretty bad so like the people people saw the writing on the wall for those movies as well so it's just it's just been a weird weird summer and I think what concerns me going into next summer is like, it was sort of a foregone conclusion going into this summer that, that Disney was going to dominate between the remakes, between Endgame, between Toy Story four um, on paper. Anyway, they don't have something like that next summer, like, or, or next year, even like their next year is, is completely, you know, for lack of a better term, non-threatening. So it's like, if these are the only movies people are going to see, uh, I, I don't know. I guess next summer is going to really be like the true testament of that. It's like, are, are, are the, are the moviegoers gone? I guess if the, if the, if the big ticket item that people want to see isn't there, are they still going to show up to the movies? And I think that that's a little concerning for me. That's an interesting question because I feel like, uh, whereas no, if it's not like a giant blockbuster, obviously no one will come out, but like a good example is once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes. which did pretty well, and uh, Good Boys, which I haven't seen, you've seen, um, that also did exceedingly well. Uh, so there's, like, these little, like, hopeful films. Um, but the thing is, is next summer a Tarantino movie isn't coming out with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no. Um, Good Boys, you know, it, 
it was a little wary if like the Seth Rogen esque Judd Apatow esque comedy could still do well in this kind of climate, and that movie proved everyone wrong. A uh, little disheartening though that the movie about a bunch of teenage boys did a lot better than the movie a bunch of or I guess not even teenage boys preteen boys did better than the movie about teenage girls, but um, yeah. they had better marketing. That's, I was going to say, like, because I, I did want to bring that up, like, when we talk about, or at least when I talk about Good Boys later in this episode, is that, like, I, I agree, like, it's pretty disheartening, and I think that a lot of people have been discoursing about that a little bit of the, you know, book smart versus Good Boys, and, and it's, 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 like, there's a lot of factors, and I, I do agree, and it's kind of sad that, like, a movie like Universal didn't make Book Smart because, you know, they, they, they will get good boys to probably a 60 million plus domestic. That's three times its budget. Uh, Universal got blockers to a 60 plus million dollar opening. And like, you know, that blockers, I, I think like Booksmart, I think Booksmart's better for sure. But like blockers oh, yeah. has that like progressive, you know, sort of feel to a teen movie to it. And so like, I don't know if someone like Universal had made Booksmart, it easily would have been, you know, a huge, huge hit. But um you know, we, we all know about the Annapurna woes and that, that, you know, that probably could fill a podcast in and of itself. Oh yeah. The fact that they almost went bankrupt, but then like what, um, the woman's father just bailed her out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, I forgot his name. I think it's Jerry Ellison, the, the Oracle, right. Oracle yeah. co-founder. Yeah. But pretty much bailed them out. So, which um, is very nice. Of him. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, My dad would never. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like we want we want a company. That's that's another thing too. Is like I, I think that's been a, a another bummer this summer. Is is that um, you know I think people like you and I, the sort of like independent uh, distributors that um, that we like and that are putting out at least interesting films, even if if not every single one is a home run, like your Annapurna's, like your your A twenty four. Like your Amazon Studios, like even they had kind of a summer that was a, a, a little bit underwhelming. I mean, I know we talked about Midsummer on this podcast, but um, yeah, I mean, like they, they book. I mean, Booksmart was a wonderful movie, but it underperformed financially. Um, and then, yeah, I, th- I feel like the other ones just kind of just underwhelmed a little bit. I don't know. I like the last Black Man in San Francisco a lot. Oh, I still haven't um, seen it. That's embarrassing. Oh. Embarrassing. I know. I don't know how. I really don't know how. I haven't. But it is on VOD now, at least. So I'm gonna watch it here soon. But that's a pretty embarrassing blind spot to admit. Um, you know what? Honestly, looking at the ones that, because later in the episode we'll talk about movies that I've seen that I really liked, and that's one of them. I didn't realize it. Um, you've missed some pretty good movies. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure I have. I'd say you also haven't missed. You've missed some fine movies. So, uh, I don't know. This summer is, I feel like, more often than not, I, I gravitated towards independent films. Mm-hmm. That's usually my jam anyway. But it just felt like there wasn't a giant blockbuster outside, potentially, I guess, if you want to count it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that really, really got my attention yeah i would i would agree i mean i think there are definitely some of the big ones that i i probably enjoyed more than you but even then like they're not ones i have any desire to go back and like rewatch or revisit or anything like that i mean hmm. I, re- I really enjoyed spider-man far from home i enjoyed toy story 4 but like i you know i don't i you know i just they're they're not like 
really sticking like they're not ones that i want to you know go revisit immediately and i should also preface what i meant by disappointment i didn't mean the quality of movies i meant in terms of how they performed like they usually have like a there's usually like a breakout like independent i mean i guess the farewell is probably like the the sort of um as far as like the the platform released like grow word of mouth and 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 be successful independent movie and a24 put that out i guess that was probably like the maybe the the big underdog success story but they i mean even then it only made 14 million so far right which is still like you know pretty i mean it's 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 high for that kind of movie in this current climate but still pretty low as far as ones that they've put out in the past for sure right yeah and i guess um as far as disappointments go basically any movie at the box office had a disappointment this summer it felt like we were in this like crisis slump quote-unquote um but i really feel that it just had to do a lot with the output like if there's not a lot of movies that i would champion behind and say oh yeah 100 percent worth your money outside like again once upon a time in hollywood um any of the smaller number of movies i've seen but yeah i think the biggest one that i liked or the two biggest ones i would say are once upon a time in hollywood and then recently ready or not which i think says a lot if those are the two that I think, as far as wide releases, were the best that yeah. I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I would say that definitely says a lot. Because even even usually, even usually there's like one sort of, I don't know, tentpole movie that, that just, that I don't know, that works, that clicks. And, and I'm not saying that some of these didn't work, but again, none of them really, uh, I, I guess I would hold in high esteem outside of the summer. Or, or maybe there was a low bar based on what I had seen that, like, you know, say something like Far From Home, which is perfectly entertaining, like, comes out after, like, a string of, you know, something like the new Men in Black movie or the new Godzilla, and you're just like, ugh, like, I hate to feed this machine, but also at least this movie's fun and not miserable to sit through. <laughs> but that's but that's about it, like, then and there's not much, you know, after that. So, um yeah, I don't know, but I I agree. I think that there are a lot of strong. There were a lot of strong indie movies that went overlooked this summer, um, and I'm excited to dive into some of those. And um, do you have any other thoughts on the summer overall, or should we just start, you know, start talking about some of the movies that uh, didn't get the time in the spotlight on this uh, show throughout the summer? Uh, I think we can go ahead. All right, let's do it. So I guess we, we kind of talked about this off mic, the the sort of bare bone, like, or threadbare structure that we're going to have for this thing is we're going to start talking about some movies that both Jenny and I act, both saw, and then we'll start doing some quick hits of movies that only one of us saw. Um, so we're probably going to cover a lot of ground here, so um, apologies if we move too quick, but uh, we're going to do our best to uh, let it sink in. But let's start with a movie that... Um, I'm actually surprised that we didn't dedicate an episode to this movie, but also I I did have a massive work trip during the time of its release, so it it may be not totally surprising. Uh, But John Wick Chapter 3, one of, actually, one of the most successful movies outside of the Disney machine this summer. I guess we should also preface that. Um, It's, it, each John Wick movie has made double what the last one made domestically like the first one made around 40 million chapter two made like between 80 and 90 this one made almost 170 million dollars which is crazy to me um but i think you and i have been both have been fans of this series have we not yeah uh you i think longer than me because i think i watched john wick on a blu-ray at home 
But yeah, no, this series is like one of those few ones where I feel like I get more hyped for the next one as it comes. Unfortunately, at the end of John Wick Chapter 3, my biggest thing was it was... I was like, oh, there's a chapter four. Yeah, How me too. How much more can we go with this? <laughs> what, what, I mean, I guess, like, not getting, I mean, I guess it's on home video. I guess most people have seen it, but I guess not to get, like, too spoilery to people. Um, what, I guess what three teases at the end for four I thought this movie would be. And so that's a little disappointing that it's like, oh, there's going to be more, because, I don't know about you, like, I I had a really great time with this movie. I really enjoyed it. The first 20 to 30 minutes or so has some of the best fight choreography I've seen in a while, at least in a big, like, Hollywood movie. But but I felt pretty exhausted by this movie by the end of it, and I'm like, I enjoyed it, but I I just, I don't think I need a chapter four. Uh, I'm sure I'll see it, but I'm, I'm not, like, dying to see it. I kind of felt the same. Um, when I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it when I left the theater because, again, after I had watched Chapter 1 and Chapter 2, I was, like, so hyped for another John Wick. I was like, yeah, I'm in on this, like, series. And I'm still in on it. But not to the extent that I was. Because I feel like this series, for me, is just, like, a bunch of solid movies. Ones that I don't really, really like. Ones that I don't think are fine. Ones that, ones that I think are actually pretty good. But, like, they've never... While they up the game within their world building, which I like, and it's really hard to find a series that it stays so consistent, mm-hmm. I've never fallen in love with a John Wick movie. Oh, interesting. Fair enough. And that... I think that's why all of a sudden I was like, another one? <laughs> Fair enough. I, I do I do love the first one. Uh, I, okay. Like, straight up, I do. And um, the second one, less so, but, like, the second one's cliffhanger ending I thought was, like, just spectacular and definitely left me... Um, you know, excited for this third one. And, and while I enjoyed it, it, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. I don't know how much more we can explore the world of John wick. Um, but to your point, I, I do love the world building in the movies. And I love that, um, that there's a just straightforward action movie that is legitimately entertaining and legitimately funny at times without having to wink at the audience. And that's something I really appreciated with the first movie and something that I feel is carried on, through the series is that it, it isn't getting like self-aware and, and it doesn't have to, cause it's legitimately well done and little legitimately funny too. I agree. Um, and I think Keanu Reeves is having a great comeback. He is having a great comeback. Um, that's also a great segue to the other movie we were going to talk about, or one of the other movies we we're going to talk about um, is, is this, uh, this movie that's uh, got, it got a lot of traction online. I think mostly, because of Keanu Reeves' cameo in it, but I think also because of the co-star and co-writer of the movie, uh, Ali Wong. It is the Netflix original movie, Always Be My Maybe, um, which I think that was a pretty big anticipated movie for you because not only did Wong co-write it, but it is directed by, and I, I forget the director's name, you'll have to forgive me, but it's someone who works off on Fresh Off the Boat, correct? Uh, it's the showrunner. Oh, it is Fresh the showrunner. Fresh Off the Boat. Um uh, Nan, Nanachaka Khan. Got it. Yeah. Hopefully Nan, we didn't butcher Nana that too Chaka much. Khan. I, I believe that's correct. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she is the showrunner of Fresh Off the Boat. Um, and also coming with her from Fresh Off the Boat for this movie was Randall Park. So it was really high on my list of movies that I wanted to watch this summer. And then I ended up being really disappointed. Um, I felt like it was... 
desperately trying to sell itself as a One Harry Met Sally, but the thing that the movie didn't really stand about One Harry Met Sally is the push-pull that the two characters have, because I feel like Ali Wong and Randall Park's characters don't have that push-pull, and you know that they're going to end up together. But, like, when you watch When Harry Met Sally, even still, you have this, like, feeling of, like, oh, my God, they don't realize that they like each other. But I, I don't know. And always maybe it doesn't quite feel the same. And I only compare it to When Harry Met Sally because this movie specifically said this was uh, inspired a lot by that movie, which most rom-coms are, to R- be fair. Right. But, but even... Like you're right that like the core problem with this movie is is just the lack of believable tension between the two of them. Like they're charming as ever. I I think like they the the movie if it works in any capacity, it's because they're charming and they're good together. But again, like that that tension isn't there, and so you're just kind of like going through the motions until you're waiting for the inevitable resolve of the movie. And um. Yeah, like, I laughed a few times for the movie, for sure. I, I definitely had the I Punched Keanu Reeves song stuck in my head uh, after the movie, but, like, you know, it hasn't really left a lasting impact. Yeah, I feel like the thing is, is it has really good bits, because Ali Wong writes for stand-up, and I feel like the thing is, and a lot of stand-up comedians find this when they go on their first projects, is that stand-up comedy is not the same as cinematic comedy, and yes. uh, like, punching a few good jokes in every now and then uh doesn't carry your story no it doesn't um though just a quick sidebar and i think i did mention this on uh, a previous episode um my wife and i did go see ali wong perform stand-up uh this summer and she had a couple really good bits about the making of this movie that were almost more enjoyable than the movie itself truth be told yeah, uh, that that's, doesn't surprise me at all. I think Ali Wong and I, I also Randall Park are very talented and skilled uh, actors and comedians. I just don't think the writing was completely there for this movie to make it uh, something that I would put on again. Um, I will say, actually, oddly enough, I think the thing that kind of wore it down was the extremely long Keanu Reeves uh <laughs> it goes on for a very long time like it, it is funny it goes on for like 25 minutes yeah it's... that's a whole chunk of that movie that's almost 30 minutes of the movie yeah I I guess I feel like probably when I let into us talking about this movie I said cameo it's more than a cameo like it's like it, a huge bit it's a supporting role <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's in it for a long time and it is like again it's funny because like he's being self-deprecating and playing a highly fictionalized version of himself but it, it does go on for an extremely long long amount of time and it's like, like yeah yeah it's like they're like we have him let's let's do as much as we can with keanu reeves uh before he has to go and it's just kind of like okay yeah you're right it kind of stops the movie dead in its tracks when it you know it already was not careening off the tracks but the tracks were a little bit wobbly to begin with i agree and i feel like if they had cut that by like 10 minutes maybe 15 even like just kept it to the dinner scene yeah it would have been okay but then it keeps going when they go back up to their hotel at, or his his penthouse apartment. I'm sorry, and it's like, and then you have the big Ali Wong Randall Park like breakout fight, but it doesn't feel as earned anymore because Keanu Reeves is still over there being Keanu Reeves, exactly, <laughs> and trying to be funny. And so you have this like moment that's supposed to be like very palpable, and instead it's this really confusing tension where. 
Keanu Reeves then somehow steals Randall Park's current girlfriend. Her name is Jenny. Um, I don't remember any names in this movie except for that one because it's mine. Also, they said her name so much. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I now that now that, now that you mentioned that they they did. I, I didn't pick up on that at first, but you're right. They, I always notice when my name is said like a thousand times or when names in movies are, I usually pick up on it. That one, it was like, okay, no one's name is being said as much as Jenny's in this movie. I And it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that because that's usually something I pick up on or like, you know, that's why like I'm not a fan of um, a show like Psych or Rick and Morty is because the characters say each other's names so many times in a stylized manner that it's like nobody says the other person's name that many fucking times in real life. Like it, it drives me nuts. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't point that out or I see that because i usually get pretty like sensitive to that for sure yeah i don't know it just i was really hyped for it and it was just one it it's in that netflix machine which i'm actually really glad they're making movies like this still and trying to like swing um for these like rom-coms that we don't really see in movie theaters anymore like we get a few of them like long shot but we don't get a lot and i feel like it's nice that netflix is kind of giving us these movies that we don't ever we probably won't see in theaters yeah this, as prevalent yeah this is definitely one of those genres like i think we talk a lot about how like the mid-budget movie for adults um you know it's still made but like a lot of them are relegated to streaming platforms and i feel like the romantic comedy it's like you mentioned long shot but it's like that's charlie theron and seth rogan it's like unless someone like that is making the movie it usually doesn't see a theatrical release so i am glad that netflix is giving a home two movies like this um but they're also not the only ones given home to movies like this um there's another movie that was not on my radar at all until you recommended it to me um and i watched it last night and and gotta say it's pretty pretty damn good is this movie called plus one? Oh my um, god i know <laughs> and it's and it's an it's another romantic comedy it's on hulu and it's um and it's crazy because it kind of like and it, and it's on it's not a Hulu original like it, it's no. uh, I think it's RLJ Entertainment uh, picked it up out of Tribeca and it had its like I think limited release slash VOD run and and now it's available on Hulu, um, but it's kind of shocking how under the radar this movie went because number one it's really good number two uh, something I picked up on really quick in this movie is like you know yes, I'm glad Netflix is giving a home to those movies, but, like, this, there's something cinematic feeling about this movie. Like, Always Be My Maybe is shot, like, sitcom flat. It's, like, flat lighting. <laughs> Everything's Which, in focus. Which, to be fair, that comes from the, I think, the director's experience. Which makes total sense. Yeah. I, I, will, I will definitely give a, l- a little bit of leeway on that. But, like, Plus One is, like, really beautiful to look at. Like, yes. it, it's a really gorgeous movie. Um, and there's, like, a legit... I feel like the legitimate conflict between the the two characters in this movie, played by uh, Maya Erk, Erk, Erskine, Erk, hopefully Erskine? Erskine, Erskine, I think. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. And Jack Quaid, who just discovered recently, it's the son of um, uh, Dennis Quaid. But oh. um, essentially, they're you know late twenty somethings who are going to be who are plus ones to each other's summer of weddings that they have to go to. And both of them have sort of like personal issues that they're dealing with that have sort of, you know, blocking them from committing to a relationship in the case of one character or, um, you know, just, just committing in general. And, and like this, I don't know. And the movie's like really, it's really funny for one too. Like I, I was laughing throughout this entire thing. 
Oh, uh, so uh, Maya is one of my favorite discoveries this year. She was also in this Hulu show called Pen15, which I'm sure is why they actually picked up this movie for streaming, because that show is doing pretty well for them, and same actress. Mm -hmm. Um, She also was briefly in the Amy Poehler Wine Country movie and stole the show uh, in the brief minutes that she's in it. Ah, I think she is super funny, and I think she knows exactly like how to use her body with humor, which is very rare, I think, for uh, comedians nowadays, where she does, like, random things. And, yeah, so she she does full-body comedy versus just, like, it talking at you and saying funny things. Um, Jack Quaid is kind of, like, give or take, whatever. He is, like, the plain, beautiful white guy that is a very good bounce-off um, for jokes. But... This movie, really good segue, by the way, because I think this movie understands what makes When Harry and Met Sally successful, because this actually does have a push-pull mm-hmm. that's pretty great. And, I mean, you, and in the case of these movies, you always know that, like, well, they're going to end up, but there's a point, like, where you think, well, this is a pretty big fight, and this is actually has stakes in this fight, and mm-hmm. you feel for these characters. Absolutely. That's, I, I actually didn't, think that not that i didn't think but like there was there was like you said a tension that i didn't know exactly where it was going to go in the end of the movie um and that's the important thing right it's not the it's not the uh, destination it's the journey so it's like if i if you feel if it makes you feel like oh they're not going to get together get together at the end of the movie then it's doing something right yeah um so this movie is directed by two people jeff chan and andrew reimer it I was so kind of saddened that it didn't get I feel like Tribeca is one of those weird festivals where no one sees anything that it <laughs> plays at it. Right. And like maybe two people see a movie there. And I had it on my radar because I wanted it for my film festival because it's uh, co-directed by an Asian American and then stars co-stars an Asian American. And I was really interested in it and I was in talks to get a screener, but then things fell through because they got busy. I think they had just landed their, uh, SVOD, like theatrical release deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I like immediately wanted to watch it when I saw it was on VOD. <laughs> Got it. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm glad you recommended it to me because it's, it's really, really good. And the other thing I've noticed, um, mainly because I haven't seen him in a ton of movies as of late, um, but I saw his name pop up in the credits. It's produced by uh, Ben Stiller's Red Hour Productions. And, yes. and so I started looking through uh, some of the stuff they put out recently and they've they've had a lot of stuff like that, that like these small little indie comedies, whether they're romantic comedy or otherwise, that um, that just aren't being made anymore. And so whether or not they're going to a streaming service or they get a limited re- run, like I, I'm happy that, you know, a production company with somebody with like a little, you know, with some pull is at least like get helping shepherding these movies and helping them find a home. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. And it has, yeah, and I think it helps. It does for sure. And I was going to say it has the feel of like some of the like earlier movies in Ben Stiller's career, that sort of like acidic comedy to it. Like something like flirting with disaster. I thought of like, especially in like the first third of this movie. Um, oh, and yeah. so I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is like very fitting. So um, no, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I can't, thank you enough for uh recommending it and that we also pushed our recording date back so that i could watch it which is funny because i told you to watch a billy eilish music video before we recorded and then you thought it was this movie 
And yeah. then you're like, oh yeah, I have no time to watch it. And I was like, you don't have time to watch a three-minute music video? Yeah, I was confused. <laughs> I was like, fine, but... <laughs> I was confused. I'm like, wait, was that the... What was the rom-com that I was supposed to watch? Uh, yeah. But, but I'm glad I did. It hurts me that not a lot of people have seen this. I feel like this is one of those movies where I'm almost sad it was dumped on VOD. Because I would have probably gone and paid for this in a movie theater. That being said... The two leads aren't um, big enough to make money. I remember talking with Jason Blum about this in an interview because I asked him what kind of movie he would like love to make. Money wasn't an issue. And then he said, oh, a rom-com. And then I was like really shocked by that. And I was like, that can't be too much to make. And he was like, well, here's the thing. They don't do well unless you have two mega stars in them, which brings us back to the long shot conversation where it's like Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. That didn't even do that well. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. And I mean, then there's also like... Last year, uh, Crazy Rich Asians ended up doing really well, and it had a lot of newcomers in it. But even so, Constance Wu is a at-home face where people see her Friday nights on TV, like for the past five years. So yeah. even then, she is a bankable star to an extent. So, and then but it was... this one oh, uh, has nobody. Like Maya is just now coming up. She just had a TV show that did well, but even so, is still small. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Quaid is also uh, on The Boys as well. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is sort of the the, the coming out of of you know they they haven't been in a ton up until this point. Um, and and that sorry to it, interrupt earlier. I was saying Crazy Rich Asians also had the benefit of like yes, it had Constance Wu, but also like it's based on a book. It was put out by Warner Brothers. It had. Yeah, I don't know, had it more things and it's going in its favor for sure. It had an incredible marketing campaign. Yes, and that helped that movie be a massive success for sure. Uh, on top that it, uh, on top of the fact that it was also solid. Um but yeah, plus one, please go out and see it if you're listening cuz it's good. I actually you don't have to go out and see it. It's on Hulu. So just just watch it at home. Like I did. <laughs> yeah, same same here. When I saw it was on Hulu, I was like, well, now I can yell at people to watch it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, speaking of movies that are on Hulu, um, there's another one that you and I saw um, that I actually missed theatrically, sadly, but fortunately was able to catch up with it. Uh, it is the latest film from, uh, I think, one of our favorite working directors, uh, Olivier Asias, and it's uh, nonfiction, which was interesting because I, I I'm still diving through his filmography more, but I haven't really seen a comedy of his. And, and so I was a little bit, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but, but a little surprised, I guess when I started this movie and see this like, Oh, this is a full blown, like kind of witty wordplay comedy. And it's really good. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, first off, he's great. Like yes. literally every movie I've watched by him, I'm like, Oh, perfect. <laughs> He has, I could, this movie proves that he can literally put a camera in someone's apartment and have people just like talk and talk big, not just have like normal conversations, but talk about politics, talk about the dying uh, industry that is books, which is also, uh, I think, a really good parallel to the dying film industry. Um, And I'm sure that was purposeful because he's a genius. And just put really interesting actors in a room together talking put a camera on it he has the he has it down yes absolutely and and it's just like you know it's a super poignant movie too because it's like it's it's yes it's talking about like the book industry and like uh you know who's who's still 
marketable who's still publishable who's not and then like the switch to kindle is it going to kindle is physical books like becoming more of a thing and it's like uh, a, a thing again and and i feel like this movie like is, is sharp in that critique and it also could fit to anything it could fit to film in the streaming versus theatrical it could fit to music like you know like people all thought it was going like the biggest music sales were uh digital music sales and then all of a sudden vinyl had the biggest uptick in uh physical sales so it's like that but also just these characters together are are fantastic juliette binoche is in it as well she, who to me can do no wrong apparently um and it's just yeah it's just i don't i don't even know what else to say it's just a solidly funny comedy all the way around yeah and i love i love movies that on the surface don't look complex but in their dialogue are complex and they don't also spell out things to you Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how this movie gives you a lot to like chew on and think about. And I think I've had longer conversations about nonfiction this year with people who have seen it than any other movie um, I've left, which I love pieces of art that can linger like that and can spark conversation, but not conversation in the sense of if a movie, like why a movie was bad or why you didn't like something. Uh, but even like further past the movie and like, Oh, well let's talk about books. Let's talk about the book industry. What was he actually trying to say here? What was he trying to say here? And just kind of like exploring the text a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those movies that is like so perfect for that. And then how, just like you said, how complicated every character is. Like I, I, I think specifically, you know, I'm not going to give too much away, but I think specifically the way this movie concludes and with the, the characters who, who, are doing this thing together and it's like you would in in a more i guess traditional movie um you would have like there would be certain beats that would hit after certain events happen i'm I'm, again i'm trying to tiptoe around things for people who haven't seen the movie but i think you know what i'm referring to um and Mm -hmm. then and then it just you know and then it gets complicated because he makes movies about like real people or at least like as real as it can feel and you know the the things that happen in movies don't really happen in real life and so um like i really appreciated something like that where like the ending like it throws you off at first because you're so like calibrated by the movies you've seen of this ilk for a certain thing to happen and then you're like oh this is completely different than what i imagined and you're just you're just along with it well there's kind of a progressiveness to how he sees relationships in movies and i think that Asayas, over maybe any director, uh, really understands that humans don't always, like, if A happens, B does not always happen. Sometimes C happens. Sometimes a combination of B and C happens. Sometimes, like, Z happens. Right. I like this movie in that sense, too. Me too. And it's definitely, it's one of my favorites of the year. Like, I won't, I won't hide that for sure. It's, it's oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah, easy. Um, well, should we, speaking of books, just the, se- the <laughs> segues. segues are really great. They're really... Also, I didn't know nonfiction was on Hulu, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, yes, it is on Hulu. So, if you're listening, we both cannot recommend it enough. But, yes, yeah, speaking of books, I did not plan this, by the way. These segues <laughs> have just amazing. been perfect. Um, never happens this way. Should we should we be negative for a second? Should we be contrarian for a second? 
um, with this yeah. next movie. <laughs> um, I guess we have to, because uh, we are. Because <laughs> we are, I guess. Um, so the next movie that we both saw uh, was, is a recent movie, or at least the next two we're going to talk about are ones that came out within the last couple weeks that were not discussed on the show. Um, I'm referring to uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the adaptation of the popular children's book series. And um, neither of us liked this movie very much. I guess I'm not going to no. bury the lead on it. And, <laughs> and um, you know, people have really gravitated towards it. Um, it. It definitely overperformed in the box office. The reviews have been strong. Um, and that's good. I'm not, not knocking that by any sense of the word. But um, for me, like, after the first 20 minutes of this movie, which I, like... Uh, like it starts with a you know montage set to season of the witch it's in the late 60s um i i feel like it sets the tone for like small town halloween night really well it's pretty glacial it takes its time uh and i'm like wow i'm really into this movie and then when the like short stories start coming to life weaved within this narrative that's a little like half-baked uh i i really became not really disinterested in this movie as it went along Yes. So <laughs> scary stories. What can I say? Uh, I I think that you were into it a lot longer than I was. Um, I did like the beginning. Okay. I was like, okay, this has like trick or treat vibes. And I always am like such a sucker for like the small town on Halloween in a film. Me too. Um, Being so from a small like, town, okay. it, it, it definitely yeah. warms my heart when that happens. So, <laughs> See, I did not live that life. I only have ever seen that life cinematically because I've always lived in like big towns mm-hmm. um, and like suburbs especially. So I, yeah, I just like love this like atmosphere, this idea that there are like towns that when Halloween is going on, it feels like an event. Um I think this movie presents a lot of ideas that it wants to be right off the bat and then does not fall. Like it doesn't carry it and doesn't stick the landing. Um, I, I've tried. This is my second time with Andre Avradal. I did not like uh, autopsy of Jane Doe very much. Um, I think that he makes these horror movies that feel like they're from the 2000s that aren't necessarily saying a lot and feel like they're just motion to motion trying to get through the next scare so they can scare you again. Yeah, I I can see that. And the 2000s comparison is definitely apt, I feel. Yeah, like, uh, none. Of, I felt like none of these characters resonated with me. Um... I don't think I ever really got to know them. There were throwaway lines about each character that you're supposed to totally understand their life. Um, I think one of my biggest issues was uh, the tall, lanky friend who plays the the not clown. What is it? What is the what is he called? What does he play? He, oh, he's I like, don't remember. Play. Yeah, like, it, it's it's the like theatrical. I forget the name of it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's 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 like well, a, he's he's dressed as a clown and gets made fun of and poked fun of. You don't know anything about this guy except the side that he's kind of snarky at the beginning and ogles girls um, that right. are his age, and then during his death scene, which the only thing I can applaud the movie is it actually kills its kids. But then the last like five minutes of it kind of blows that up by saying, Oh, I'll find them. And it's like, Oh, so they're not dead. Um, but like, there's a throwaway line. He's on the phone with his parents and he's like, or his parent, his mom. And he like, refuses to call his stepdad by his name. And you're like, Oh, he kind of lives in like a home 
where his parents, I guess, are his mom is like here and there because she's dating somebody new. But that also kind of clashed with the beginning scene where the mom is making his Halloween costume because clearly she has enough time to do that. I don't know. There was like a lot of like weird tones shifting and it was trying to say so much with so little. Yeah, that's I think that's what really got me is is that it it, I thought it was really strong. Like, I thought it was really strong at the start. Like, I thought it was trying to say one thing. And I feel like it's a little bit more. It's trying to be a little bit more broad in its scope, like given the, the time of given the time period that it's set, given that it's set during the Vietnam War, Nixon's re-election, like, I feel like it's trying to get at, like, a broader sort of, like, commentary, but in doing so doesn't focus enough on the, like, interpersonal relationship between the kids. And I think that's a problem, because it's, like, it should be the opposite. It's, like, the, the, the textures in the background are great, and I think they enhance the movie, but it, or they enhance a movie, usually, um, but you have to focus on what's going on in the immediate and um, this movie just doesn't really doesn't do that for me. And it, um, you know, it supposes that it's going to in the, those first like 20 minutes and then it just com- like, again, completely falls off, completely abandons what it was going for. And yeah, it's, co- it's just like kind of a rush scare fest. That's just not that exciting to me. Um, personally, uh, I will say, though, I, I have not seen Autopsy of Jane Doe, so I cannot uh, comment there, but I do like Troll Hunter, which this director did do as well so Mm. i i will at least like throw that out there but um yeah this movie um you know it just it didn't uh didn't do it for me yeah no it absolutely does not uh i feel like it it so desperately wants to be an anthology then just be an anthology that's my (laughs) i noticed that a lot recently like not recently but like you'll have these horror movies that are like have that are anthology-esque in structure um but then they're like you know weaved into a narrative and then it's like no just just be an anthology because the books are anthology so Mm -hmm. like just let it let it be that like the wraparound story doesn't have to be great it could it could do the job like it'd be serviceable and then just have these short stories and and focus on those i think that's another thing i think that doesn't work in this movie is trying to weave them into a overall narrative uh you know just just make it an anthology yeah, I especially hated um, the backstory, I guess, for the Sarah character who writes the scary stories. Uh, it felt very, like, underwritten, almost, even though the dialogue is certainly overwritten. <laughs> for sure. Um, it's one of those things where I don't quite... I see where, the like, the writer was trying to go, and I felt like with, like, maybe six more rewrites it would have gotten there but the idea and i mean i guess a little bit of spoiler territory the idea is that this like woman who was i guess albino uh so she looked different got uh, persecuted in her time and she wrote these scary stories but like to kind of like i guess wipe out her family which we'll never know how she did that um but then new girl comes along who is the outsider in her town because she is interested in writing which whatever and (laughs) that i think that's my biggest problem they try to place this main girl character as such an other but she's not like she's pretty she's thin she has friends and her friends are nice and she doesn't seem like she's totally unpopular but she's supposed to connect with this person that actually was an other. 
And then also supposed to connect with this boy who actually is an other as well who comes into town. I don't know. Um, I think that might have been my biggest issue. Who has been made fun of for being a writer ever? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> it's like yeah, if that's your biggest problem. And I mean, they try to like weave into the fact that her mom like disappeared and apparently the town blames her for that. But I, that felt like such a stretch. Yeah, I, I didn't buy that uh, either. I mean, I, I do like those things. Those things do happen for sure. And, and there's definitely like, you know, small towny gossip for sure as well. But it just but they wouldn't have blamed the daughter. Well, and even if they did, the movie doesn't do it in a way that's believable. Like, yeah, because it never tells you why. <laughs> exactly. Again, it's it's the it, this movie tells. This movie tells a lot. It doesn't and do a lot of showing. <laughs> it doesn't show you at all. It, it like it tells you like, oh, this is why your mom didn't like move because of you. And it's like, wait, but then why did she move? <laughs> Tell me the answer. If you're just gonna keep saying that. Right. And and I'm <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's like that's one of those things where it's like, oh no, this is actually missing. This is this is not this is not benefiting Key from information. Yeah, this is not benefiting from being like vague. Like, no, this is actually character stuff that should be uh, addressed for sure. Um, yeah. Oh man. Do you have any <laughs> do we have any other thoughts or have we kind of got all of it out there about this movie? Honestly, I didn't even think any of the quote unquote uh special effects, I guess, looked good. They're supposed to be uh, supposedly not that much CGI is in this movie, but it's really hard to believe. Yeah, I definitely noticed it through a, a, a few moments. Actually, more than a few, like quite frequently. I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot of these were practical and then they washed them over with CGI. Yeah, I could see that happening uh, for sure. Um well, should we move on, like, to, well, I guess it's the last thing that we've both seen. Should we move on to a horror, or at least horror-ish movie that, that we both at least liked? Yeah! <laughs> um, which is which is Ready or Not. Um, and a, a movie that, like, and I know I talk a lot on the show that, like, um, you know, it's not always great to have, <laughs> excuse me, um, like, preconceived notions going to the movie or baggage or whatever, Um but but I'll just say I think you and I were both skeptical about this movie going into it. I think that's fair to say. I think it is fair because I don't watch a trailer. Like I feel like a lot of people can get really hyped on a trailer, and that's really rare for me. Like unless I'm already hyped about the movie and the trailer is good. This was one where the trailer looked like you're next, and I was very suspicious. And on the surface, it is very like having seen it you could probably do a Venn diagram and this and your next are very similar, but like your next, I have fun with it. Yeah. I had fun with this movie too. And uh, I was, I was pretty surprised. I think for me, like these, these type of like genre movie, it's like I mentioned kind of with John wick, the ones that um, at least on the surface, this one felt like it was going to be very like winky and very like, nudge nudge to the audience and like in on the joke and like it's gonna be bloody it's gonna be right like a riot and and like i'm 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 sick of those kind of movies and to my surprise this movie is not that i definitely i think there's a few lines or a few scenes where it was very clear to me that like it's going for or like trying to be quote-unquote cool and that kind of took me out of the movie but like then the movie got me back in very quickly because it's Number one, it's pretty economic. The setup is very simple. It's a single location movie, which I tend to enjoy. Um, and it, I feel like it balances its tone of like comedy 
and like tense thriller very well like it, it's not scary but there's definitely some moments that are tense and and i felt that and that's usually rare for this type of movie so uh, i give a lot of credit and um and to the lead uh samara weaving who uh, i think just i mean the supporting players are really good too but i mean i think she's she's the center of this movie and she's great yeah, I agree. Um, I actually haven't seen a movie that I've liked with her in it. I guess or her in it at large, because Three Billboards is a fine movie. I don't think about often, but she's like a minor five-minute character. Right, she's John um, Hawks's younger new wife in in that movie. Which I actually like her in that movie. Me I remember too. thinking that she's funny. Um, but the babysitter doesn't do her justice. Oof. <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, this movie, I feel like, does. And I feel like there's a subtlety about her in the way that she makes jokes, um, but also in the way that she performs. That is quite nice. Um, I think that her and Adam Brody together are very good. They're not actually the couple that's together. Uh, Adam Brody is her husband's brother. But it's interesting because I'm pretty sure I would argue that he is the biggest of the siblings like even her husband's kind of sidelined yes. but it's a little bit of adam brody's realization because you actually begin the movie with him that is true and um yeah that I, and that surprised me too and i'm wondering if maybe well no because it had to be in the script i was gonna say i'm wondering if it's because adam brody's probably one of the other than uh andy mcdowell is probably the most known actor in this movie arguably oh, easily yeah. um but but you know but then again that's probably why they cast him because it's like yeah it's it's sort of a, a, a interesting I, I think that's what also interests me about this movie too is like it's a little bit more layered than just oh they're hunting somebody during a game night like there's all this like you know there's all this like familial baggage to like this new generation of people who are like this is like fucked up why do we do this um and well even then like every character kind of has a different take on it and i think that's the thing that makes it the most interesting is it's not her husband that is the one that thinks it's the most wrong i mean he does but like, i think it's adam brody's character that thinks it's the most wrong for sure and i think especially when he's he i guess he married his wife who seemed to be wickedly into it yes <laughs> for sure and uh, one other thing, I, I, I definitely want to tiptoe around because I want people to go see this movie. It's a lot of fun. I will not spoil the ending whatsoever, but I do want to say, and I was actually going to say this to you off mic, and I, I forgot to when we were talking about the movie. Very rarely have I seen a movie where it could end one of two ways and both ways would have been satisfying. And I think that's no small feat for them to kind of set this precedence of one or the other thing could happen and both would be a satisfying conclusion to ultimately what the movie's trying to say and um that's that's it's impressive i'd say i know i i actually agree and like you kind of i mean you know at one point i think maybe 30 minutes and it's gonna end one of two ways exactly and so and that's not necessarily a spoiler. No, no, no. And I, yeah, I'm just trying to, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, yeah. I, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that it's like, oh, it could have ended the opposite of the way that it actually does end. And I think it would have been also very, very satisfying. So yeah. Yeah. Ready or I'm not. I'm impressed that it's fun. Yeah. That's, I, I like, 
it, the it trailer looked, tries too hard. Yes, and that's I thought the whole movie would be like that. And again, we should never judge a movie like never judge by the trailer going in. But it just when looked, you watch the trailer sixty times, it's hard not to. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I also saw the trailer a, a lot, and um, yeah, it just looked super try hard, and it kind of bugged me every time it came on. Um, but it no, the movie's it, uh, a blast for sure. So that it, definitely one of the biggest surprises of the summer for sure. I agree, and I definitely won the horror movie of August. I think. Yeah, Easy. I, yeah, it's 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 almost not even a, not even a competition. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it won it easily. Um, well, cool. So we swing into some stuff that uh, just some quick hit stuff that uh, one of us or the other of us have seen. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, do you want to go first? It. No, I was going to say oh, you, you go for it. Yeah. I am the guest, I guess. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of movies that you didn't see that I saw, shockingly. Um, most of them are smaller than the others, but one of them is pretty big. Um, but moving forward, uh, I think some of my favorites that you missed were The Souvenir, which is an A24 movie, um, that I slowly started liking more and more. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it is, like, one of those movies that is super obvious in what it's trying to tell you and not half as subtle like a nonfiction would be. And I think this movie suffered a little bit because I had seen nonfiction a couple weeks before and it kind of has that same tone of a lot going on that's worth discussing. But to me that this one just, it felt like it went in obvious directions. Then again, it's also based on uh, the director, Joanna Hogg's life. Mm-hmm. Um And I think this movie just, like, slowly started. Like, I liked it more and more. Like, after I read Joanna Hogg's uh, giant uh, piece, or not her piece, uh, what are they called? Uh, Preview? Uh, No. Um, There's a piece about her in The New Yorker, and it talks about, like, where a lot of this movie came from and how real to life it is. I also enjoy the idea that there's going to be a sequel to this movie. Hmm. Um, I feel like there, it's very rare to find a movie like, like any kind of independent feature of this kind, even that has a sequel in the works. Um, so that fascinates me. Um, I highly recommend it. I'm sure it is on what does does Netflix have the A24 deal now over Amazon or do they both have one? One or the other. I think it's, and don't quote me on this, but I think Amazon still has like the immediate like the newer releases and then after a certain amount of time and they go off the service like Netflix has the stuff that's been out a while I think okay. I think um so it should show up on Amazon then anytime any day now uh really interesting I think it I feel like they dumped it though it's one of those movies that really frustrates me at a24 I don't think found a good place for it and I feel like this one ugh, would have been such a better like oscar uh like award season placed film because it would have had so much more legs for sure uh, i feel like um another one i feel that way which i guess it actually did kind of well for a24 is the last black man in san francisco which i mentioned at the top of this podcast but i think that that movie is gorgeous uh i think easily my favorite summer a24 movie that came out um which is a lot to say because the souvenir the farewell and Midsommar also came out, but we already know my thoughts on Midsommar. Right. Um, 
Yeah, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, another movie that subtly has a lot of things to say. It's very, very poetic, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the cinematography is beautiful. The score is incredible. And uh, the lead actor, he is really great. But who I thought actually kind of stole the show um, was uh, the minor actor in this film, or supporting, if you will. Uh, he... Oh, what's his name? Shoot, I don't have it written down. I thought I did. Um, is it Jonathan Majors? Uh, anyway, I think that this movie, you would love it. I am dying to see it, and I know it just hit VOD recently, and, um, you know, it's A24, so it'll eventually be on Amazon. Uh, it will also probably get award screeners sent out at the end of the year, so I will have multiple chances to watch this movie. I am sad I didn't see it in a theater. Actually, it might be at the second-run theater in Seattle currently. I'll have to double-check, but uh, if it's not too late, I'm going to try and catch it. Yeah, um, it's good. I I could not say kinder words about it uh the, the, i think the best thing is like it, it's it's a movie that really understands what it's trying to say but also doesn't force it on your audience um anyway i loved it uh, and then i guess another shout out is a movie called the third wife which is a vietnamese movie uh it it was sprinkled across the united states uh this summer had like a summer release in Oh, I would say like New York and I got May or something. Um, it's directed by a woman, which is really rare to find a film outside of Vietnam that is. Uh, we showed it at my film festival, actually. Um, and it's been banned in Vietnam. It's another fun fact about it. But it's about this young girl who is married into this family um, in kind of a like 19th century rural Vietnam uh, setting. And another very poetic film. I don't think it quite hits the notes that Last Black Man is able to hit as far as like the poetry on screen and visual, but it certainly tries, and it's pretty good. Nice. Um, those are like the ones I would highlight. I think the most. Oh, and also an up and coming film, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Yeah. Which technically counts. Um, I saw that like two and a half years ago. At this point, <laughs> <laughs> a really long time ago, I watched this movie. Um, but I still think about it a lot. It's like a very, it's like if Pan's Labyrinth was set in a more modern scale in Mexico City. So it has that kind of like children and magical realism quality to it that is really striking uh, that Pan's Labyrinth had. Um, so it, it makes perfect sense that Del Toro is 100% behind this film. Um, and another good one that I watched is the Invader Zim movie that just hit Netflix. Ooh, I've been uh, dying to see that and the Rockless Modern Life movie. I have not watched uh, either of them. Perfect. They're great. Nice. Uh, I haven't seen the Rocco one, but like Invader Zim is great. It feels, and what I described on my podcast about what I liked about it is that it doesn't, there's so many points where it could like nudge, nudge to nostalgia, but instead it just feels like it moved on, like in the series and it doesn't kind of like look back, which is something that I admire um, that I think a lot of, like, uh, even movies that are made after TV shows don't tend to do. And it's just continue the story and move it forward. And, but also have, like, a one-off, like, beginning-to-end uh, conflict that is bigger than any conflict that had been prior. 
Um, Gurr is amazing. I still love him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I highly recommend it. It's like an hour and 11 minutes. It's so good. So funny. Awesome. Um, as far as movies that I thought were okay, I you didn't see Yesterday, right? No, I planned on... Night? I did not see either of those movies, and I planned on seeing both of them, but um, I did not. See, those are movies for me that were fine. Late Night had a lot of the same problems always be my maybe had, um, especially the way it was, like, I feel like it looked. Uh, and Yesterday was a decent, not my favorite Danny Boyle movie. I was a little disappointed. Um, but easily my least favorite that you didn't see, which uh, came out... <laughs> think a few weeks after i had seen it was the lion king it's like my least favorite movie of the year Ooh, yes no i uh it, it's actually kind of funny story I've, I've avoided seeing that movie twice and at this point i just don't think i'm gonna see it and it, it feels really good no i think i mentioned it feels really good it feels good no i'm i did mention this for sure um on the uh i think it was our farewell art of self-defense episode with matthew monagle that um we were initially going to review the lion king i was actually in new york when the movie screened i was going to go with uh, our editor-in-chief rodrigo perez as his plus one at the screening but i was there for a work trip uh i was literally like three after effects graphics and a live stream test away from going to that movie i was close enough to the theater but uh i had to get a couple things tested for the the event we were doing and missed it and then rodrigo texted me after it and said it's not worth discussing talk about literally anything else on the podcast (laughs) so so we got a pass to to not do it um and then i was gonna go uh i think i was gonna go in between uh the time i got off work because i had like an early thing that i had to be in for and the Hobbs and Shaw screening because I had time to kill and the only thing playing at the theater that would fit the time and by the time my buddy got up for us to go to dinner was The Lion King but then I had a couple more work things to attend to so work saved the day twice shockingly so uh, <laughs> I, I will probably not see this movie and I'm very happy about that and I'm sorry you watched it uh, well my boyfriend convinced me after we had a like a wine filled dinner he was like well The Lion King's playing and I was like Sure, why not? But I actually turned to him like midway through and went, can we go? <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's how much I didn't like it. It is very rare for me to actually ask that. But I was like, I know the story. I know how it ends. I don't like what's going on on the screen. That's brutal. That's dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did not see um, that. And I did not see Aladdin either. And neither of us did. I, I didn't I see know. Aladdin. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Um, any others? Or was that, that the, uh, the closing? I think that was my hit list. All right. I guess yeah. <laughs> looking at my hit list here is very very clear that um how insane my summer has been both in work and personal life looking at these movies right off the top three of them i saw at south by and just came out this summer one of them i saw for review and and would not have seen otherwise two of which i saw because we were going to discuss them on this podcast but then life got in the way and then one of them i saw for myself so Keep that in mind as I go through these movies, because some of them are really rough. Um, I guess I'll go in chronological release order. I saw Dark Phoenix, because we were going to discuss it on this show. Um, It's not good, but I will say it is not the train wreck that people made it out to be. I think it actually has some, like, interesting uh, themes going on. It just is, it's just kind of a big, like, whatever of a movie. Um, 
so I, I just, I was like, I, I think the, the quote unquote, it's a disaster. It's a train wreck thing is very hyperbolic. Cause it's a completely and utter middle of the road movie. Um, I saw men in black international, which I think you, you mentioned that you didn't see, uh, rightfully so. The more I think about it, that's probably the worst movie that I saw like this summer, maybe this year, even it's, it's, Ouch. it's, it's so, so bad. Like nothing about it works. Um, and it's like you have Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson who have already established working chemistry in two other movies. And so it's like, oh, that's even that should just be like at least be able to coast a little bit off that. And it's just like, I don't know what either of them are doing this movie. They're both hung out to dry. It it just doesn't it doesn't work whatsoever. Um, and it's pretty it's just pretty sad movie. Um, so that do not recommend it. Uh I saw The Dead Don't Die, the newest Jim Jarmusch movie, which I liked quite a bit. Um, I know a lot of people were really not fans of that movie. It seemed to be a really polarizing movie. Um, I, I definitely think it it um, it's less enticing and less sort of like hypnotic as something like Only Lovers Left Alive. But I think it's similar enough in, in like, A, it's Jarmusch's spin on on a genre that we know really well uh it's also you know says a lot about like you know trying to say like make sense of this world and where it's headed and and things of that sort it's it's very jarmish in that way and i'm wondering too because um you know speaking of trailers this was a trailer that bugged the hell out of me along with ready or not like i thought it looked really really bad um but i also had a sneaking suspicion i'm like this also looks really broad like almost too broad for a jim jarmish movie and so I kind of had the suspicion. I'm like, oh, I bet they took the broad elements and amped them up for this trailer, uh, and they got butts in the seats. But then people were disappointed when it wasn't like you know Zombieland, which I like Zombieland, but like it, you know, it's not that type of like broad zombie comedy. Um, you know, it's more like a Romero zombie movie in in like its commentary, but it, it's got a, like dry sense of humor to it. But um, I really dug this movie, and I'm kind of shocked that other people didn't like it as much, but Maybe I'm also not shocked, too. Who knows? I, I don't know nowadays. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's It's hard to tell. Um, but, like, I, yeah, I saw The Dead Don't Die. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I also saw Stuber at South by Southwest. And now That's I'm done great. talking about Stuber. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it's just, it, wow. I mean, I know, right? It, it, I mean, you had it, more words to say about Men in Black. <laughs> Which is because that well, Men in Black is much, much worse. Stuber's just kind of like, you know, Dave Batista, Camille Nanjiani have like some decent chemistry, but like, I, I don't know. Like, I used to say, like, the only prerequisite to making at least a half decent buddy cop movie was to have leads with good chemistry. Um, I'm, I'm retracting that a little bit because, like, it's got to have some semblance of story. And, like, the story in this movie just, just, like, makes no sense whatsoever. Like, there's some funny stuff like here and there but it it just doesn't like quite work and it also feels like a prolonged uh commercial for uber like the, the movie's mechanics based so heavily on how uber works that it's like i don't know it just feels kind of shameless and embarrassing in that way um i saw the peanut butter falcon which is probably yeah. yeah which is the one i would probably recommend the most to be honest like i haven't I, seen it yet i really want to see it it's really sweet and i think that like and we talked about this i think a little bit at south by um because i know you missed it there but um you know on the surface it feels like one of those type of movies that comes out of sundance and like is that like quirky you know the, the atypical uh not atypical typical um 
quirky Sundance comedy. And, like, it, it is in some ways, for sure, but I think it's a, a, a really, like, it's it's just a pleasant movie. It's a really sweet movie with, with a great message. I think the the uh, lead performer in this movie, his name is Zach Gotzigan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, mm. who, kid who actually has Down Syndrome. And I think he's he's fantastic in the movie, and as is Shia LaBeouf and uh, Dakota Johnson. Like, it's just... Uh, it's a really pleasant movie and that like that one I couldn't recommend enough. And I think that one just expanded into wide release, like just under a thousand screens. Um, so if you're listening as the, at the time of this recording, um, go check it out. It's out there. Um, and then I also saw good boys as well. Um, it's, it's charming. It, it, it won me over in the back half of the movie. I'll, I'll say that. Um, when I saw it, I, you know, I felt like at the beginning, I'm like, okay, yeah, these, these kids, like, they have a good chemistry and whatnot. I'm like, but if it's just the one-note joke of kids swearing, uh, I'm like, this is going to get old real fast. And it it did for, I'd say, like, the first half of the movie. But then when the second half, like, sort of settles in and it sort of gets to the core of what it's really about, which is, like, you could actually, like, branch out and have other friends and do other things without having to leave your friends behind. Like, life's always going to change. And that's okay. Like that's like when it got to that, and it got to like the uh, sort of sweetness that the like Rogan Goldberg comedies always have underneath the raunchiness. Then I, I enjoyed it more. But um, but I, like I only found it like kind of like hit or miss in terms of comedy. But it's a it's a sweet movie, I would say. Um, and then the last one, which I think it just hit limited release and is slowly expanding through September. Uh, I saw it all the way back in April, actually. Is uh, Brittany runs a marathon. Uh, oh, yeah, with Jillian I Bell, see that. it's really pleasant. Uh, also, really pleasant movie. Um, though, though, to for the sake of not getting in trouble, it is. I have to preface: it's an Amazon Studios film. I do work for Amazon, but I don't work for studios, so like has no factor of my opinion of the movie. Um, but that was also like another like acquire out of Sundance, I think, as well as Late Night. Like, I think they took both those movies out of Sundance. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty. it's it's like it's pleasant like i i guess maybe that's just the only word i have for it it's a really pleasant movie it's a really sweet movie um it's the second movie this year weirdly enough that co-stars jillian bell and michaela watkins they were both in the um the uh, lynn shelton movie sort of trust which oh i guess that's a movie i saw this summer that you haven't seen either i think Uh, correct the lynn shelton movie with mark maron yeah okay well impromptu I guess discussion on that one because it wasn't on my list, but um, yeah, Brittany runs a marathon. It's 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 charming. It's um, it's good. Yeah, I would recommend it. And uh, same with sort of trust. It's it's very like low key. It's very like not a lot happens into in it, but there's um, you know some good character work in there. I feel like Mark Maron. He's great in it, but he's also essentially playing himself. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, like he, the score in the movie is even his, his guitar work. And it was very, even before it came up in the credits, I'm like, I bet he played the guitar for this movie. Um, and sure enough, he did, but, um, I'd recommend that movie as well. So just couple, couple nice, like pleasant indie, uh, Sundance comedies, I guess, to, to end the summer with for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but that's it for me. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the stuff you've seen on the summer as a whole, or, uh, should we just, should we wrap this thing up? Honestly, more horror movies in the summer. It would be nice. Yeah. I mean, we did. That are good. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we had some good ones for like Ready or Not. We mentioned uh, we reviewed Crawl on this episode or on this show, uh, so we didn't get into that. But Crawl was also pretty solid. Um, wish more people would have saw it. Don't know why it was withheld from press for screening, but uh, you know that's a that's a story for another day. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, I guess they probably don't have to because uh, of. Uh, I, I guess how good the first one did in the normally dead weekend after uh, Labor Day, but I'm like it feels like it would be like a summer movie, you know? Like that. I think that's also a weird one, but it's in that weird like not it's after summer, but not quite fall movie season. Yeah, I feel like I agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, all right. I think we've been going at it for like 80 minutes, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. What do you think? All right, sounds good. Awesome. Well, this is another episode of the Discourse. Jenny, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. Where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find most. I post most of my work on my Twitter handle, Jenny Lee X33. I sometimes write for the Austin Chronicle, which is a local newspaper. Um, but majority of what I do is I podcast for No Excuses Podcast, which you can follow at No No Excuses Pod on Twitter. And you should definitely, yes, you should definitely follow it because it is a very, very good podcast. Um, you could find Thank me. You. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you could find me on Twitter as always at Ryoli90. It's R-Y-O-L-I-E 90. And as always, the discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to our channel via your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, be it Spotify, Anchor FM, iTunes, however you get your shows. And you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, uh, Indie Beat, The Fourth Wall, and the other various programs that have sporadic episodes that pop up from time to time. Thank you again, Jenny. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye.